As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The presenting sponsor of The Audible is Trader Joe's. And Bruce, obviously we want people to listen to our podcast, but I think we want them to listen to another podcast as well. Yes, if you want to find out about the best grocery store in all of California... This is the podcast you need to listen to. Bruce, they are the best grocery store in all of America. I don't know. I know you don't get out of California very often. I don't. You you're Trader right. Joe's is everywhere. And Inside Trader Joe's is a five-part podcast series that takes you literally inside Trader Joe's. Go inside the TJ's tasting panel. Travel to wineries in Napa Valley and around the world to discover the next great Trader Joe's products. Discover why they wear those super fashionable Hawaiian shirts. You can get the podcast at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to The Audible. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman. Uh, Roosh, you spent a little bit of time this past weekend around some of the top high school and top college quarterbacks around the country, and I'm curious to get some of your thoughts from Elite 11. Yeah, this year was not supposed to be as anywhere near as good a crop of quarterbacks coming up as the, as the class last year that had Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence and actually a bunch of, of really big physically mature kids. This group didn't have that. It was A lot of people thought it was one of the lesser classes in a while. Uh, there's still some good kids, but one thing I noticed was a lot of them were smaller guys. You know, Spencer Rattler, who is an Arizona kid who's committed to Oklahoma and looks like he's a really good fit for what Lincoln Riley does there. He's pretty tiny, just not not just short. He's a little. I would say he's more along the lines physically of Kyler Murray. Now he's not. He's taller than Kyler Murray, but just in terms of like frame wise, you know, Baker Mayfield short by QB standards, but he's a thicker guy. Rattler looked good. It's just you wonder how many. You know, if he's, his body doesn't really continue to develop a lot, how much can they run him? Then there was another guy who I who I really liked who's going to Florida State. Sam Howell, he's a North Carolina guy. Kind of reminded me of Chase Daniel. Probably maybe a better arm, but around six feet, six one, he looked good. And then there's two other guys who I think you'll hear a lot of. One is a more pro-style guy, and that's Graham Mertz from Kansas. He's committed to Wisconsin. He is the prototype size guy, big arm. From what I heard, Ohio State and Texas A&M may have a shot to flip him down the road. We'll see. 
And then the other one who was uh, was very impressive, and this is a good find by Sonny Cumbie and TCU, was Max Duggan, who's about 6'2". He's a four-sport athlete. He's actually from Iowa. Moves well. He checked off all the boxes. I thought he was a big-time kid, and I heard he's really solid to TCU, and I think you'll you hear a lot about him. And so those were the ones who were a little more, I would say, along the lines of kind of revelation. And then you had... Patrick Nix's son, Bo Nix, who's committed to Auburn, is just really good. I don't know if there's any wow factor, but he's 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 really good. And then the probably the the biggest story guy of the group is Ryan Holinsky, who's the younger brother of the late Tyler Holinsky, the Washington State quarterback. Ryan's a big kid, very mature. Just people really like him and respond well to him. He's committed to South Carolina. I think that's a really good, really good get for Will Muschamp and the Gamecocks. But it sounds like you know, in this particular year, the quality or the, the star power of the college counselors maybe was as appealing that as going and watching the high school kids. No doubt. And I think, you know, there was, as you said, star power. You had both Alabama quarterbacks actually did a story for The Athletic on what they had told the, all the counselors and how they kind of handled themselves here, told the counselors and also the, the high schoolers. It was Jalen Hurts and Tua Tagovailoa. Both are good representatives of Alabama. And and I'll, I'll say this, when you watch Tua throw the ball in person, even if you've seen it, him throw in person before, there's such a wow factor. The ball just explodes out of his hand. He's not the tallest. I mean, he's a thick lower body guy. Just gets a ton of just gets a ton of force behind the ball and really looks unflappable in how he handles everything. And just and we saw that quite honestly in the in the win over Georgia when he came off the bench. So you had those guys you had the guy who I think will probably be the top in top senior quarterback in the in the NFL's eyes, and that's Jarrett Stidham. They did a uh, the Elite Eleven guys did a kind of a mock pro day for all the quarterbacks, including the counselors. And Stidham just throws a very very tight ball. He obviously moves well, has good feet, like him a lot. I thought just from in this setting, I. Th- you know, I'm I'm more sold on him as a as a pro prospect, quite honestly, than I am Drew Locke, the Missouri quarterback, who was also there. Will Greer was also there from West Virginia. Trace McSorley from Penn State was there. Manny Wilkins from Arizona State was there. And the guy who really created the most wow was actually the guy who only showed up for one you know one day later than everybody else, and that was from UCF, Mackenzie Milton. And he's the smallest guy. He's even smaller than McSorley. But when you watched him in the in the pro day, and there's a bunch of guys who work in the NFL and have worked in the NFL who are there, and and his feet were just really quick and and very uh, dynamic. And the ball also just he has a lot of juice in his arm. I was really impressed with the velocity that he could put on his throws. It was you know I had always heard from people around UCF. How, how smart he was and, and how he picked up the offense and how he kind of could trigger everything and, and process. And that's all great. But I think his physical tools in terms of that arm, especially, is really underrated. And I came away wowed by him, what I saw from him Saturday night there. I want to uh, follow up on that and also on the Jalen Tua thing, but just a quick tangent about how much can really be gleaned from watching a guy throw up close and seeing, like you said, the velocity or the arm strength? Because let me tell you something. Take a guess. This was in the last few years. The most impressive, just purely like velocity ball coming out of his arm 
which that I've seen in a practice, what quarterback that was. Are we talking about the last 15 years? We're we talking about the last five years. There should have been in the last five years. Okay. Very For me, highly regarded recruit who, well, I'll just say it. There's so many quarterbacks. I would say, I would say it's probably two if it's a recruit in the last five years. I have not seen two. So it's not like I've seen every quarterback of the last five years throw in person. So this isn't like an authoritative list. I'm just using this as an example of what can we really glean from this? It was Christian Hackenberg. I went to a Penn okay. State practice. Yeah. And I was like, and this was after his freshman year when he had started as a freshman and you know, he assumed at that point he would progress. And I was like, okay, I see why he's such Mr. Five-Star Recruit. That's incredible. And, of course, we know that it only got worse from there. So, obviously, I mean, I guess the lesson is that's just one part of the picture. Yeah, it's a big piece. I would say along the same line of the tangent, if you had told me instead of five years, 15 years, my two guys were both guys I saw at the Elite 11, neither as campers. One was a, actually at working as a ball boy, which meant he was going to be a junior and not a senior in high school. And the other one was a counselor. And they were big, big guys with huge arms. One was Jamarcus Russell. He has the biggest arm I've ever seen of anybody. And the other one was Ryan Mallett, who was the, was the high school junior. I mean, they could get a tremendous amount of velocity on the ball. And obviously, neither one worked out in the NFL to, to match up that arm strength. So, so we'll see. I think the big piece of this is when you look at quarterbacks sometimes that put up a lot of numbers in college, the question is, and I guess Graham Harrell would be a great example. He was a great college quarterback. Kellen Moore, Boise State, a guy we both love, great college quarterback. You can do it on anticipation. You can do it on smarts. But if you just don't have enough horsepower for some of the NFL throws, that will be your undoing. You will you will only go so far. Now, having said that, there's a guy who had a little bit of a resurrection in Minnesota last year who's not the tallest, who's a guy a lot of these quarterbacks wouldn't mind being compared to if they're not prototype size. And that's Case Keenum. You know, he doesn't have a he doesn't have a, a ton. Of, he doesn't have Russell Wilson's kind of juice in his arm, but he has carved out a nice NFL career, so it can be done. So, in terms of Mackenzie Milton, and I saw the tweets. Uh, everybody that was there came away, you know, kind of blown away. Now, this guy, you know, he was number two in the country behind Baker Mayfield in pass efficiency rating last season. So it's not like he came out of complete nowhere from a college standpoint. But he was a completely, he was not a, a four or five star uh, Elite 11 type quarter. He was a completely under the radar guy who was headed to Hawaii until Scott Frost got the UCF job and remembered him from Oregon and gave him a call. So if you're a Nebraska fan today, that's got to be pretty exciting to hear. Your new coach seems to have a pretty good eye for quarterbacks. Yeah, and certainly knew you know a fit and everything else. And remember, those Oregon guys were the ones who found Marcus Mariota when I think ESPN had him ranked as like the 139th best quarterback in that recruiting class. So, you know, it bodes well. Now, having said that, there was like I remember talking to Manny Wilkins there, who's has had a nice career at Arizona State and really a remarkable kid in terms of just you know beyond just football what he's about. And we were talking about his recruiting process, and he's he was. Uh, living in the Bay Area, he's friends with Jared Goff, and his dream school is Oregon. And I think Oregon was about to come, you know, visit him, and he they were gonna he was gonna throw for them. And then instead, they got to see Morgan Mahalik, who is another guy a little bit similar to to Mariota, just in this regard, where he hadn't hadn't played much, but he was in the pipeline of a good program. And I guess they like Mahalik, what they saw from him. They took a commitment from him right on the spot. Never really got to see Manny Wilkins beyond that. And 
Morgan Mahalik really didn't end up doing anything for the Ducks. So it's a uh, it's obviously an inexact science, but yeah, if I'm an if I'm a Nebraska fan, I'm take, I'm pretty excited about my chances with Scott Frost running the show. Okay, in terms of Jalen Hurts and Tua, because Saban has made them off limits to the media back home throughout this spring and off season. You know, this is this is one of the most watched, if not the most watched, quarterback competitions out there. And because they haven't talked about it, and because Saban's mostly played down questions he's gotten about it. Everybody's gleaning any little thing they can. And so a few weeks ago, Tua gave a, a speech at, I believe, it was, it was middle school, right? Not high school? Uh, I think so, yeah. And made a comment that caught everybody's attention that he said flat out he was ready to transfer if he didn't play in that game. Jalen Hurts' father also made waves when he said that if, when he was asked by Matt Hayes if Jalen doesn't win the job, what happens? And he said he would become the most coveted free agent quarterback in college football history. You were in the room at this uh, camp, thanks to your connections there, when the two of them spoke to the campers. What did we gleam from that? uh, We gleaned that that Jalen Hurts is way more mature than your average 19-year-old. It kind of blew me away that I realized, wait, he's still only 19. How he presents himself, he talked about how how he basically was able to process not just his role, but he gets benched basically in that game and his his understudy goes in there and becomes the hero and how do you everybody saw it afterwards how he had this huge smile on his face and said all the things you would you would hope uh if you're a coach your guy in that position would say but it's easier said than done and he said he goes you know i've always been raised you know he's the son of a coach i'd always been raised to you know put the team first that's bigger than me and and he said, Alabama, they sent him in the off season to an IMG summit for leadership. And he said his biggest takeaway, what he really got from that was, and as he put it, to lead, you have to be able to love. And, you know, it's like he was quick to make sure no one, you know, interpreted that in any w- which weird way, I guess, as how he wanted to kind of diffuse it. But he said it was really important for him to realize the biggest thing he could do was connect with his teammates and make them, you know, make them realize what he was about. And really what he was about was all about the team, making them better, being there for them. And as he's telling this, I happen to be sitting, Tua didn't know it, but I'm sitting like like literally four feet behind him. And I'm watching him and he's nodding his head in agreement. Every, almost everything Jalen said for, you know, whatever, it was like this is a three or four minute answer. And then afterwards, Tua gets called up. And Tua... I think what I took from that, you know, is the the kind of discourse that he had with the with the high school kids was really about how do you stay focused when all of a sudden you blow up? How do you stay grounded when you blow up and become a a huge thing, like all of a sudden? And he handled that well. And but I thought the answer that was actually maybe the most telling was Yogi Roth, who helps run the camp. He's a former USC assistant coach under Pete Carroll, and now works for Pac-12 Network. And he he brought up. He said, "How do you?" just you know walk into a room as a quarterback and you're the young guy there and you're coming from the far west and you have such a diverse group of teammates you may have a 25 year old you know teammate who's married with two kids who's been on a mission you may have a star you know a starting receiver who thinks they're the guy and you know has been there for four four four-year starter and how do you handle it he goes he goes this is the way it is for me i grew up they grew up playing the same game i played in hawaii when they were little kids and it's the same game. And that's kind of our connection point. And what, you know, he kind of went into it a little further. And you just kind of think, okay, 
a lot of times, and, and this could be any of our listeners too, where let's say we golf or whatever, sometimes we're our own worst enemy because we make things harder than they are. We, we twist our minds into places they don't need to go. And this kid is not wired for that at all. He's the opposite. He is keeping it as simple as possible because that's just how he either approaches it or how he's fortunately to be wired not to, not to get entangled in things like that. And so listening to him and just being around him a little bit for the weekend, you could, that kind of kept on getting reinforced was just how, just kind of how unflappable he seems to be with that stuff. It just has like a little bit of a breezy aura about him. And, you know, his younger brother, I want to just throw this in there, uh, Leah, is a is is in this high school quarterback class. He was there. He doesn't have his he doesn't have anywhere near as big a reputation as, as Tua does. He is committed to Alabama. He's one of two kids who were there who were committed to Alabama. Bear Bryant's like grandson, great grandson, Paul Paul Tyson, who's a bigger kid, also was there and I had a chance to speak to him about things. But Leah is maybe an inch and a half shorter and physically looks like he's like three years younger when you look at his body, not just a class younger, but he has the same explosive, you know, throwing, throwing, uh, motion and, and delivery. And the thing you don't know is, does he have the same wiring? Does he have the same unflappable demeanor and approach and all that? Maybe he does, but, um, you know, very interesting situation. Obviously it's going to play out over the next, at least, you know, three, six months in Tuscaloosa. So wait, what year is to his brother? He is going to be a senior in high school. So, that, so both he and and this kid who's like a, a off, uh, offspring of, of the legendary Bear Bryant are both committed there. Let's say after the, either before this season or after this season, certainly after he gets his degree, Jalen Hurts transfers from Alabama. We could be looking at a situation the following year where the quarterback competition is between two brothers. We could. I, my, my hunch is that Tua is pretty pretty far ahead in his development, and I think his brother, his younger brother is probably a little more of a project in that regard. Or he could be his backup. If Tua were to go down in a game, in comes his brother. Yeah, he could be. Now, Mac Jones, to his, you know, in fairness, is also there. Yes. He was the other freshman, and I think they like him too. So, like Alabama, as much as they could have some attrition and their numbers could be down, I don't think anybody needs to worry about them replenishing the, the depth chart. Back to the podcast in a second, but first, Bruce, let's talk about our favorite mattress, Lisa. Stu, there's no way you can get a better night's sleep than if you get a Lisa mattress, so why wouldn't you? Especially given that they're currently offering $160 off of a mattress at lisa.com slash audible. It's the deepest discount they've ever offered. They also donate one mattress for every 10 sold and then one tree planted for every order received. That's 23,000 mattresses donated thus far. 11,000 plus five-star reviews. Lisa Mattress is loved by 300,000 happy sleepers and counting. So again, you go to lisa.com slash audible and you'll get $160 off, which is a fantastic deal on any mattress of your choosing. Again, lisa.com slash audible. All right, so let's move to a different quarterback who's in the news this week. Oklahoma quarterback Kyler Murray gets taken ninth overall in the Major League Baseball draft by the Oakland A's. Frankly, a lot higher than I think most people had been hearing. I mean, I'm not a by any means a, a, a close follower of the baseball draft, but you know, I'd seen the, the stories and the tweets about him, 
And I think I want to say as recently as a day or two before, it was, oh, he'll go somewhere between 30th and 50th. Well, he ends up going 9th, which is big money. And, $4 million, uh, dollars, right? $4.7 I, I had to have somebody explain to me what that number even means, and I guess it's like a starting point in the negotiations, but it's, you know, he he's now can reasonably expect at least that much. And yet, apparently both he and the A's are okay with him playing this coming football season before he begins his baseball career. It's a pretty fascinating situation. I got asked about it in the mailbag. There have been a lot of quarterbacks who, not a lot, but quite, you know, a good list of quarterbacks over the last two decades who got drafted. And in almost every case, they left. One exception would be Russell Wilson, played a couple years in the minors while still in college uh, in the summer. And then, I mean, really the first name that comes to my mind, I don't know about you, is Drew Henson, who... I had to kind of look back and remember the details, but it's mm-hmm. kind of crazy now. He signed with the Yankees out of high school and still played three years of college football. Yeah, I mean, we all have our own, like, anecdotal. Like, the first name I actually thought of was John Elway, but I remembered, like, I the first magazine story I ever did at ESPN was on Josh Booty, who was a high pick, actually played in the major leagues for a little bit, at one point had the World Series ring. I don't know if we can ever find that for Josh. If we could, that would be great, but... He was the same high school class as Peyton Manning. A lot of people thought he was more talented than Peyton Manning, both Louisiana kids, obviously, but on opposite ends of the state. And then he came back to play college football much, much later. And I think we see that from time to time. Like our our friend Joel Klatt, not exactly in the same realm in terms of recruiting hype. He was a a walk-on and ended up uh, playing, bouncing around, I think, for the Padres and the Rockies, maybe. And then he ended up you know, having a really productive record-setting career at CU as a much more mature guy. The ones who can juggle both at the same time are rare. And also, a lot of the times we see quarterbacks get drafted, even you mentioned Russell Wilson, they're not guys who are drafted anywhere near this high and have the investment. Like, I remembered, God, I want to say it's Matt Holliday, who was, it was Oklahoma State, was a really, really good uh, high school quarterback prospect, and he went to play baseball. Had a really has I think he's still playing. I don't know. I should know this. Had a has had a really productive career in the majors, and so there's a bunch of guys who fit that. It's just I think in this case, what's what seems to be unique to me is even if we see a run of shorter quarterbacks, Kyler's much smaller than than Baker Mayfield, and would be the smallest quarterback if he were to ever you know kind of go that route in the NFL. And I think you look, you know, physically, it looks like he is more, you know, go try to be Ricky Henderson, as, as Daniel Jeremiah had said the other day, is probably better suited than that. But I think that, you know, the A's and, and the Murray family and his dad was a great athlete and great quarterback at A&M must have had some kind of understanding. OK, he's going to go. He, this is important to him. He spent all this time preparing. He loves football. And I think that's a big piece of this. He loves football. He wants to have his run at this. So. I don't know if that just means they're going to give him one year at OU to be the starting quarterback and continue to physically mature and, and get that out of his system or what. It sounds you know, like it, that. It doesn't. I mean, it sounds like he's there's absolutely no possibility now that he would come back for his fifth season. It's kind of crazy when you think back to all the hype around this guy as a recruit. Uh, I remember, you know, this would have been, gosh, Charlie Strong, maybe even his first season there. You know, he had been committed to, Kyler had been committed to AM for a long time, and then at the 11th hour, he took a visit to Texas, and it became, you know, this, this showdown between the schools. Then he gets to AM, he plays a little bit, he transfers. Uh, all of this, then he gets to OU, 
And ba there was a possibility Baker Mayfield obviously could could have turned pro. Uh, he stays. Like all of this hype around him, going back to his time as a recruit, is all going to end up with at most now, you know, one season as a college, starting college quarterback. So I mean, how good do you think he is? I mean, he was a record-setting quarterback at the highest level of Texas high school football. Baker has I, he told me he was like he's the fastest guy on our team. He was the best athlete on our team. Everyone talks that he has pretty good arm, although you can remember times where it looked like he would dirt some throws and just seemed like he was kind of frenetic and almost frantic out there. What do you expect from him this year? I have no idea. I mean, I think the running part, no question. You know, it'll bring a different dimension to the offense. And then I guess I would just say I have a lot of faith in Lincoln Riley as an offensive play caller to play to his strengths. But, like, what will what will that look like? How good a passer will I mean, he's not going to be anywhere near, I would think, as efficient a passer as Baker Mayfield was. He's the most efficient passer in NCAA history. But I don't know. Maybe that offense will look a little bit more like Texas A&M with, with uh, Manziel. You know, same principles, but the guy who can beat you with his legs. It'll be interesting to watch. I mean, by the end of the day, we just don't have much evidence or much tape at this point to know what to expect. Yeah, very interesting opening weekend matchup. You're going to have... Lane Kiffin, which is obviously going to bring in a ton of publicity just because it's Lane Kiffin and his team at FAU last year was very good. But also, their starting quarterback could be Chris Robinson, who Oklahoma booted off their team. That's right. And he could be the starter against the, you know, against what we think will be Kyler Murray. And a, I, you know, I checked that spread because like that's a Fox game. I don't think our crew is going to do it, but it's a, uh, it's a, it was a 21 point spread. I wonder if that'll kind of slide down before we get closer to kickoff. So it looks like you've been looking at the early season schedule. I have, Stu. It's I have a vested interest in this, you know. So, it, as as you know, I, we made a move, and I didn't have cable or internet for a while. And I just remember, like, we got our schedules or a, a glance at our schedule before they came out, and I was like looking at them, like I'm looking at it on my phone, so I can't see everything. And then when I saw the whole thing, I was like, all right, this is going to be a lot of fun. I, I mean, I'm excited about just seeing the games it kind of becomes way more real and and you know plus being out at the elite 11 last week being around football and football people it's not far off now you were really off the grid there for a few days do you let me ask you something do you know who's winning the nba finals i do i went out for game two to see the game i went to a bar with some buddies i tell you what i don't know i don't really know a ton about what the heck happened with the with the 76ers for an office oh you man know, that was wild that's not, that was that's a wild bad. story well, it'll be for another podcast. Somebody have you heard podcast. anything about an NFL team that may or may not have been in, invited to the White House? Did you get any wind of that? I got wind of that. Yeah, I, I went. I got online yesterday when, or I got online Tuesday when all this stuff was already blowing up. But all right, I'm just giving you a hard time. Let's talk college football TV schedule. I love it. It kind of makes it feel a little bit more real when you start seeing those 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 um, times and networks. So let's just so. Just to wet your appetite a little bit, first weekend. By the way, it you know for years that Thursday night game was South Carolina. Not anymore. Do you know who's uh, teeing this season up? I don't. Thursday, August thirtieth, eight p.m. Eastern, ESPN, Northwestern at Purdue. Okay, that we want to see Jeff Brom's offense. That actually could be a battle between the team that got former five-star Clemson quarterback Hunter Johnson and the team that thought they were going to get him. That is the Hunter Johnson Bowl. That's absolutely correct. Not it is and it is. I mean, it. Dude, yeah, from what I understand, he is 
he had Duke high on his radar as well because of David Cutcliffe. So there's a little layer to that. that that's a pretty, I mean, a conference game, that's a pretty interesting Thursday night game. But uh, skipping ahead to Saturday, that game you just mentioned, FAU-Oklahoma at noon Eastern, Maryland-Texas also at noon Eastern. That, Maryland-Texas, that might be my game, by the way. I think our crew is doing game. that. It's on FS1, Ole Miss-Texas Tech, Oregon State-Ohio State. Those games are all first first game in the in the first window of the day. Then at 3.30 Eastern, you got Auburn-Washington, uh, which I think is the most important game of week one. I, I on think ABC. that's the best matchup of week one. I don't even think anything's close to that, to be honest. Michigan-Notre Dame? I don't think anything's close to Auburn-Washington. Yeah, I mean, I think one. that's the playoff ramifications on that one. It's not uh, just that, Stu. It's just like, let's say Michigan, whoever wins that game, yeah, I want to see how Shea Patterson looks, and I also want to see what uh, D's offense looks like with a new offensive line and new offensive line coach and everything. But like, I'm not sure I can take a ton from that. That, that would feel a little bit like, Texas Notre Dame game a couple of years ago where it was it was a fun game and everything but I'm not sure what we could have taken from it whereas if Washington goes across country and and beats a good Auburn team with Jared Stidham I think that is a huge boost for the Pac-12 that desperately needs it and I think we're gonna I think that would validate the Huskies as a real playoff contender if Auburn wins I think the Pac-12 is 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 really sent down even further tumble so I, I agree with you, but I think it's, you know, we've talked about this on the podcast in the past for all the complaints Pac-12 fans have with Larry Scott, and there's a new thing happened this week that might be a new reason to complain. We get out we can get into that later, but um, at the end of the day, the networks don't value these Pac-12 teams, and, and this is a perfect example. We both agree, Auburn-Washington, game of the weekend, and yet ABC decided to put that one in the afternoon and put Alabama-Louisville which should be a complete blowout at, uh, in the primetime window because it's Alabama. They'd rather have Alabama against Louisville than Auburn against Washington in that, in that primetime slot. Yeah, it's the defending national champs. That's the only part of it. I mean, I don't think Louisville is going to be that good. They do not have uh, Lamar Jackson anymore. So I'm with you. I, to me, that's like, uh, eh, I, I don't, I mean, will I try to watch that game? If I can, sure. But I... I to me, it's not even close. I mean, I wouldn't even put that in the top five games of the opening week. Also in that 3.30 Eastern window, Tennessee, West Virginia in Charlotte on CBS. I think the Mountaineers should roll in that much one. More in- much more interested in that game, by the way, than I am in the Louisville game. Chip Kelly makes his debut against the Cincinnati Bearcats, 7 Eastern on ESPN. Michigan, Notre Dame, 7.30 Eastern on NBC. And like I said, Alabama, Louisville, with the primetime window. Then you go to Sunday, because that is now a new, oh, I think it's the third year we've done this. Mm-hmm. Uh, LSU-Miami. Good matchup. Good matchup. 7.30 Eastern from Arlington. And then Monday night, Labor Day night. This is actually a pretty damn good game to be playing the first weekend of the season. Virginia Tech at Florida State. Yeah, you have two teams that are kind of, obviously FSU is looking at women's first game of the Willie Taggart era. You have a Virginia Tech team, from what I understand, that they're really going to be hurting in the secondary. They've already had two guys end up out for the year in one way or another. One guy left early. The other guy was big, tall JC cornerback who is going to miss the year with injury. And so we'll see what, what's going on. That is interesting matchup. But um, I think you're also missing, and I'm surprised you're missing it, because you are our resident Stanford expert. 
and they have a really good game Friday night. You're right. I, I skipped from Thursday to Saturday. That is a good Friday night game. San Diego State comes to Stanford. San Diego State beat them last year. That's um, actually a better game, I think, than the Thursday night game, to be honest. It's more compelling to me. Yeah, because no, it is. I mean, both, you, both of those teams should be better than Northwestern or Purdue. You have, you have Bryce Love, who is a true Heisman guy and, and you know, got off to a crazy year last year. Now we want to see... You know, here's the third running back for the Aztecs in a row. They went from from Pumphrey to Rashad Penny, and now they think Juwan Washington is is just as special. So, again, this is a, another one. Quite honestly, that's a that if Stanford loses, that's a that's a gut punch to the Pac-12 again. So the upshot of all that is, in terms of opening, how as far as opening weekends go, you don't have the you know full on headliner like. Alabama, Florida State last year. I disagree. Uh, I disagree. You think Auburn, Washington is that? I do. Yeah, I think you're selling Washington short, and I think you're selling Jared Stidham short. I'm not even saying, well, I guess I'm not saying it from a football perspective. I, it is, there's no question. It's a very important game. But at the end of the day, it you, you know, you're a TV guy. What, what would the TV rating for that game be? I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know exactly how it plays out with the rest of this, the stuff chalked in that 3.30 Eastern window. I think neither one of those, both of those schools are seen as regional, whereas Alabama is definitely not regional. Auburn is like the Alabama Louisville rating will be twice that. Well, it's also you know some sometimes to a lot of times this is how things are positioned. If there's nothing else around Alabama Louisville or not much around it, it's not a crowded window. Yeah, the numbers are going to go. Well, up. actually, I'll take that back. Michigan Notre Dame is in that window. Michigan Notre Dame will be the highest rated game of the weekend. There, I mean, you yeah, two huge fan bases. Right yeah, and so that's my point. You know, we've had. Um, we've but had. is that how you? But is that really how you want to judge um, what you think is a great matchup? I would just rather go. I'm not on, talking okay, great matchups. I'm talking interest level. Like, remember two years ago, there was that Saturday, the opening Saturday that everybody said was the greatest opening Saturday of all time. It had USC Alabama, which was a blowout, but you didn't know it would be going into it. It had USC Alabama. It had LSU Wisconsin. I'm, I'm blanking on what all the games were that day, but it was just an absolutely loaded slate of glamorous matchups last year alabama florida state was like number two versus number three or something like that i don't think you have that kind of like everybody's gonna watch this you know stop what you're doing everybody's gonna watch this michigan notre dame would come the closest however the point i was trying to make i think from thursday through uh, monday is uh that's a loaded opening weekend yeah i agree i agree i mean i feel like you you rarely get much like last year's thursday night game much to my chagrin, because it was opposite our, our Oklahoma State-Tulsa game. Indiana put on a, a really good effort and gave Ohio State all it could handle. And that turned out to be good, but rarely is a Thursday night game too much. Like, I remember a couple of years, a couple of years ago, probably like five years ago now, it was the, the Kenny Hill game after Johnny leaves, where people are expecting a lot from South Carolina, and A&M just lights them up. You get, like, a uh, an SEC interest game, but it hadn't been, you know, I always felt like that was more like a, a middleweight, middleweight fight compared to the rest of the stuff. And I think that's kind of what we got this time, too. Here's a little bit of a refresher. This was Saturday, September 3rd, 2016. And I remember people looking at the schedule a year or two ahead and, and saying, like, wow, Oklahoma, Houston, LSU, Wisconsin, UCLA, Texas A&M, UNC versus Georgia, Alabama versus USC, Clemson. I almost forgot this. Clemson-Auburn was opposite that Alabama-USC game. And then on Sunday, Notre Dame-Texas. So 
Uh, and Monday, Labor Day, was Florida State Ole Miss. Remember that? I do remember that, yeah. Okay, now I want to turn your attention to a very intriguing discovery I made about week two. I hadn't made this connection until I saw the schedule. I knew that Clemson A&M was that day and that that would probably be the headliner game. Uh, and ESPN put that in prime time. High noon, my friend. High noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central. Arizona coach Kevin Sumlin returns to the city to face the school that he once coached, Houston, only a couple hours away from the place where he was coaching the last several years at Texas A&M. You've got Khalil Tate going against Ed Oliver, first game of the day. That's a very, very under-the-radar game. Would you agree? I would, and I, I think what you're doing here is you're trying to make the bosses at The Athletic open up the purse strings to let you go cover it. Am I not well, mistaken? I'll tell you here's what. Here's how you, I'm going to sell it. I've already... Here's how, here's well, how first I First of all, the I deal. am the boss, so I don't have to sell it to anybody, but... Ooh, listen to you put Max it out Wilson on the table. I've already made our plans. Ready? Arizona-Houston at noon. Well, okay, let's use local time. 11 a.m., Arizona-Houston. That game will end around 2.30 or 3. Get in the car. Drive to College Station. Clemson against Texas A&M, 6 o'clock. I can, I can entice you even further. I can get the two of you some coupons for the Chick-fil-A in, in uh, I think it's Friendswood, Texas, which is not too far from the University of Houston, if you guys would like. How about that? So you're talking about Tony Levine's Chick-fil-A? Yes, I am. Well, okay, so yes, thank you very much. We'll, we'll take your free Chick-fil-A, but I think Andy Staples is listening to this right now beating his head against the, the wall because obviously if you're going to make that trip you're going to get barbecue on the way yeah well I, I'll let I, you guys you know, I'm, that I'm, this is going to be blasphemous I can't remember the name of the place but you remember the really big it's, I think the last game I covered at A&M Johnny Manziel against Alabama mm-hmm. like the year after he beat them I remember every that. national media member was at this game yes Andy drove like 45 minutes out of the way at some ungodly hour in the morning to be first in line and he brought to the press box this big hunk of brisket from people listening to this now right now who know the place are just like mad at me because I can't I don't know the name of it. I'm going to tell some you of the best brisket the I've ever had. The podcast. I'm going to tell you before we, we trudge through the end of the mailbag. You're gonna tell um, me the name of it? Yes. All right. By the way, the thing I mentioned earlier, oh, just a couple other highlights from week two as, as long as we're here. Um, I mentioned that Arizona-Houston game. UCLA at Oklahoma is on Fox at noon Eastern. Skip ahead to 3.30. You've got Colorado-Nebraska. I think that'll be pretty interesting. It's a, a rivalry renewed. What's the CBS? There is no CBS. Oh, yeah. Georgia-South Carolina is the CBS game. Iowa State, Iowa on Fox. By the way, Georgia South Carolina, really good matchup. I think one of the pro- I would say it's probably one of the five best matchups of the SEC schedule, or well, at least for the first half of the year. If you were in their shoes, I'm I can't say with 100 percent certainty, but I'm pretty sure CBS gets first pick of the SEC every single week. They chose that game over Clemson, Texas A&M. They chose that game over. I'm sorry, say that again. They, cho- they chose CBS chose Georgia South Carolina over Clemson Texas A&M. Yeah, that that surprised me a little just because you have Clemson there. Yeah. But I uh, I don't know. Um, I mean, I think the where they're going because it's Georgia was in the championship game last year and it's a conference game. It's a familiar matchup. 
Speaking of SEC and CBS, by the way, some some news this week. New sideline reporter. I know Allie's good moving on. I'm. Uh, I she did. A, she had a great little run there. For, I, she for did. CBS. I think she's. So. She was very good at that. I'm not that familiar with Jamie Erdahl, who's taking her place, but she's done a lot of stuff in the NCAA tournament. So we wish her luck as she joins the Brad Nessler, Gary Danielson, CBS SEC team. Uh, prime time that night. This is again week two. Uh, you've got a good one actually. USC Stanford. Yes, that's uh, a big Fox. one. That's a Fox. Man, Fox game. has got all the games that day. And Penn State Pitt is the ABC primetime game. And then a little late night, Pac-12 after dark action, my friend. Herm Edwards and the ASU Sun Devils welcome Mark D'Antonio's Michigan State Spartans. Yeah, a little, uh, little friendly rivalry game. Brian Lewerke, uh, who is an Arizona kid, gets to go up against Manny Wilkins and their, I think they're buddies. So, okay, before we get um, to the mailbag real quick, I mentioned but, it earlier. I alluded to it. What do you think about the Pac-12 voluntarily saying we're not going to send any five and seven teams to bowl games is that is that from them feeling like we're not going to send somebody into an ambush where we're going to have our five and seven mediocre team and give us one more loss in bowl season no it has nothing to do with that okay <laughs> what do you think it has to do with? from what i can gather it's well they sell they sold it as you know some noble uh you know basic like if all of the conferences got together and agreed no more five and seven teams i think we'd all be absolutely thrilled with that i think it's embarrassing when a five and seventeen goes to a bowl game, so they sold it. Larry Scott's statement sold it as that, like, well, we just don't, you know, we want to honor the integrity of bowl games, and you should have to win six games. That's not that. It's it was brought up by Pac-12 ads, which means it has to do with money, and it's this: if you are five and seventeen going to a bowl game, you're probably getting shipped to a game nowhere near where you're located on the West Coast. You're gonna have to buy a certain number of tickets. No fans are gonna go. I think they look at that as basically a... A loss leader. A loss leader. I mean, you would get revenue for the conference, but you 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 wouldn't do anything for your own school. And then also, they don't want to pay their coaches the bonuses, right? They get a bonus for going to a bowl game that they didn't... Yeah, not good. John Wilner, by the way, who covers Pac-12 better than anybody, also brought up that uh, a lot of times you're 5-7, and you just fired your coach, you got an early signing date, so... There's reasons to do it, but I still think that you're denying a, a group of kids and a group of coaches a chance to go play in a game that if they were in literally any other conference, they would get to do. Also, they would have, remember, the teams that get to go as 5-7 and seven got there because of a high APR. So, so you're even saying, like, thanks for your, your great work in the classroom, but no. Doesn't everybody in the Pac-12 have a high APR, though? I don't know. That's, I, a, I haven't, that's a rhetorical question. I haven't looked um, through the, through the, but or I do, through the but data. I, but I do have some vital information to pass along. Okay. So in your Andy Staple story, this legendary epic barbecue place in question, it is snows in Lexington, Texas. That's absolutely right. And it is only open on Saturdays, and it opens at 8 a.m. And if you think Andy Staples is in the 713 or anywhere near there, you're going to have to probably go at like 6 a.m. to box his 261-pound body generously out of the front of the line. So I take it then there's no chance you could actually stop by Snows on the way to the A&M game because they'll be all out of meat by then. Of course they would. I mean, what are you, crazy? That's that, They probably are all out of meat before, like two hours before that that would even start. Oh, they'll be out of meat by 10 in the morning. Yeah. 11 in the morning. Earlier, Andy's there. Back to the podcast in a second, but first, 
Bruce, Father's Day is coming up. It's just around the corner. And we know our listeners are trying to find the perfect gift for Father's Day. And you and I lately have been sampling the absolute perfect gift for any guy who likes to grill. Yeah, what better way than get the best quality meats? Do I know that we grilled the other day and had some burgers from Omaha Steaks? And they were such an upgrade from what we normally get. I was very happy with this. Yeah, we are making our way through this enormous, enormous box of meat that I'm going to tell you about in a second. We cooked the steaks first. Last weekend, we had, just like you, coincidentally, had the burgers. And we are absolutely loving it. So why Omaha Steaks? Well, first of all, convenience. They deliver them hand-trimmed, flash-frozen, and vacuum-sealed meats directly to your door in an Omaha Steaks cooler. Variety, pork, poultry, veal, lamb, bison, seafood, vegetables. Quality, all the highest quality cuts with a one-of-a-kind one of a kind flavor and customization. Omaha Steaks even gives you the option to customize cuts for your dad's grilling needs, fine recipes, wine pairings, etc. So here's the deal, Bruce. Right now, Omaha Steaks is giving a limited time offer to our listeners for Father's Day at 78% off, which is an amazing deal. You go to omahasteaks.com and you type audible in the search bar, and here's what you get. Ready? Go. Two tender filet mignons, two top sirloins, four chicken fried steaks, two boneless pork chops, four all-beef Omaha steak burgers, four gourmet jumbo franks, 12 ounces of all-beef meatballs, one pound of steakhouse fries, four caramel apple tartlets, one Omaha steak seasoning packet, plus four more grill-ready Omaha steak burgers free with your purchase. Again, it's limited time. Only $49.99 when you go to omahasteaks.com, type Audible in the search bar, and add Father's Day package to your cart. Don't wait. The offer ends soon. Go to omahasteaks.com and type Audible in the search bar. What do you say we get to the mailbag? Let's do it. Okay, as always, you can send your emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. Really, uh, really enjoyed this first one from Johnny She. He says... Guys, love the Audible, as always. I've been considering how fired coaches fired coaches who would be rehired can be categorized. So three categories, Bruce. One, anytime they're ready. Two, once they're rehabilitated. Three, never. They had their one shot. So for anytime they're ready, I would list someone like Chip Kelly. For rehabilitated, my example is Bobby Petrino. And then hopefully, under never, I would have Art Bryles. All right, so you get the setup here. You get the parameters. Mm-hmm. All right, I do. he gave us four names he wants us to classify. Ready? Yep. Jim Mora. I would say. He no, he doesn't really have to rehabilitate. He anything. doesn't really. I think the challenge with Jim is. So my understanding is he, he may end up doing TV for ESPN for a year, and then what's next? I just don't know if if the jobs he could get, being in his mid to late fifties, would be jobs he would take. So in that case, maybe he's in the never category. Yeah, the problem with never, I like Johnny's question. The problem with the never thing is he's not, like, to me, Art Bryles is, like, is toxic for, for like, that, for a very specific reason. And I, I wouldn't want to taint somebody else in the same way. Like maybe that there needs to be a fourth category. Maybe he, what he needs is, like, one that's, you know what, like I'm going to go ahead and separate, okay? There's now... There's now four categories. Why don't we, how, about we, how about we name the third category full nut, which is a combination of fulmer <laughs> and nut. <laughs> and those are the guys who don't have to rehabilitate. 
What I was going to suggest is they had their one shot or they had their shot would be somebody like Mora and then like never would be somebody like Bryles. Okay. Yeah, you're right. Okay. okay. Next up. Last no, what did you say? What did you say about Jamora? Did you agree with me, or do you? Yeah, I would put him in the never category. He had, no, I put him in the had his one shot category. I would put uh, Les Miles in the same category because of age. Yeah, age and like, I mean, at this point, he's he's trying to be an actor. Like, he's not going to suddenly get a call. Hey, you want to be college football coach again? No. Okay, this is an interesting one. Todd Graham. I'm going to say Todd Graham. Anytime they're ready, I think. I don't know what job this is. Like, if Seth Luttrell has a big year and leaves North Texas, I could see Todd Graham getting something like that. I just don't know how many places are going to be clamoring for Todd Graham. Yeah, so I would say anytime they're ready, if he's ready for a lower-profile job than the one he just got fired from. But I agree. I mean, it's not like he's unhirable. A lot of ASU fans didn't think they should have fired him in the first place. So... I don't put that in the category of Mora and Les Miles. And finally, a controversial one, Rich Rod. I think Rich Rod needs whatever legal matter to be sorted out publicly so people know what they're getting. I mean, he did a really good job once he got to Arizona. And I think they probably would have been pretty good if he had got this year. But his his persona is not great. So he would be in the rehabilitated category. Yes, that's my my take on it. Okay. And we agreed on all of them. Okay. Next up, Mark, who is a Badgers fan. As a Wisconsin fan, I wanted to rip my hair out most of the games I watched last year when Alex Hornibrook would be bad for a couple quarters with bad interceptions and wildly inaccurate throws, and then he would heat up in the two-minute drill in the pressure moments. Do you think Alex can be a top-tier college quarterback this year? And what is the ceiling for the Badgers? I would love to see someone other than Ohio State win the Big Ten, even if it's Penn State or Michigan State, but please, Wisconsin, just for once. I'm going to say the ceiling for the Badgers is, is to be in the mix for the national title and go to the playoff. They, yeah. have, they have the best offensive line in college football. They have one of the best offensive players to run behind it in Jonathan Taylor. Some pretty athletic receivers, some studs on defense. They're really well coached. I think I think they're a playoff team, but that is that is under the guise that a very inconsistent quarterback. If if Alex Hornibrook plays like he did against Miami, I think they can actually win the national title. If he plays like they did against Ohio State, I don't. You know, I think they'll lose to the, lose to whoever they face in the Big Ten title game. Wisconsin could make the playoff. Could win the Big Ten and make the playoff. Wisconsin cannot win the national title. They're not talented enough. They're not. I disagree. I disagree. They are not one of those twelve or thirteen programs that recruit the four and the five star kids and the top ten classes, and that and thus can get into a playoff. Like they could win the Big Ten, they get in the playoff. But once they're in the playoff, they are not going to beat. They are not going to win consecutive games against, say, Alabama and Clemson. Who has a better offensive line than Wisconsin? I can't say I've studied offensive lines around the country, but Who do they're you think? usually pretty good, so I'm going to say them. So they have as good an offensive line, if not better, than anybody. They have arguably the best running back in college football. Now, defensively, they have some good players. They, they probably don't have enough of them on the level of, of Clemson and Alabama. But I think if Alex Hornibrook, like I said, if he plays like he did against Miami, 
four touchdowns, no picks, almost completed 70% of his passes. And it's not like Miami doesn't have big-time athletes. I mean, they have a, a, a really good trio of linebackers. That defensive line was very good. They have a bunch of guys in the secondary who will play in the NFL. Manny Diaz is really good. Alex Hornerbrook lit them up on the road. I mean, that was at the Orange Bowl. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a Miami. That's that's as Miami as the Miami's ever going to get at this point. I don't and think Alex, Alex Hornerbrook is as bad as people are making it seem. He's uh, con- inconsistent. Inconsistent, and that's, yeah. But I'm looking at his stat. So in the Big Ten Championship game against Ohio State, and that's this is what I'm saying. For that, when they make the playoff, you got to beat two straight teams with talent like Ohio State's. He was 19 of 40 for 229 yards, no touchdowns, and two interceptions. Against Michigan, another talented team, although not a great team last year. And this is probably more a case of they just need, didn't need him to win the game. 9 of 19 for 143 yards, a touchdown, and a pick. Now, Jonathan Taylor is a stud. Look, I have Wisconsin, I think, fourth or fifth in my top 25. I think they're really good. but And this is not even specific to Wisconsin. I fully believe that in the playoff era, the, the pool of teams that can actually get in the playoff, win two games, and be the national champion is very small. And it's all the teams, Alabama, Georgia, USC, Ohio State, that recruit the best players in the country. They're, Wisconsin is more talented than USC. I'm sorry. They are right now. They may be this year. But in general, U.S. All right, well, let me ask you this. Who was the last college football program to mm-hmm. win a national championship that was not a quote-unquote blue blood? I'd have to look at a list. I mean, I'm going to go way back and say it was BYU, but I'm sure there was more that would fit in the category that wasn't a blue blood. I think it was probably a little bit after that. I think you would Georgia Tech won a national championship, or at least a share of a national championship. Colorado, mm-hmm. this was in the early 90s. But this was also when you just voted on the thing. You know, since, since they've gone to an actual system with a championship game and now with two rounds of a playoff, I mean, just look at the list. It's all, you know, when was, the, when was the last time you saw Wisconsin play in person? Mm, that's a good question. I'm not sure. Might have been Damn. when Russell Wilson was there. They are very big, and they are more athletic than I think people give them credit for. You need to see them in person. Do you think that this Wisconsin team is considerably more talented than the Michigan State team that went to the playoff a couple years ago? I do, because that offensive line had some, you know, one really good player in Jack Conklin. You know, one of the Allens was this, you know, the anchor of the line. They were good. I think mean, this group is better. I think this group is a, has a much better running back. You know, I don't look at... The I think best... This, I think this team is better than that Michigan State team. I, I actually agree. I think the best Wisconsin team of this whole two-decade, you know, run of sustained success... Man, we should have on... You know, we just announced Jesse Temple's joining us to cover Wisconsin. We should have him on to have this debate. I think the best Wisconsin team was probably the one with Russell Wilson... Wait, was J.J. Watt on that team, or has he already gone? I'd have to honestly look. Bielema had two great teams back-to-back. The 2010 team that lost to TCU in the Rose Bowl, and that was definitely J.J. Watt. But I want to say, then I think you'd have to say the next year's was a better team because Russell Wilson was there. Anyway, this, will be the, this should be, on paper, the best team Wisconsin has had since those teams. But those teams didn't play for the national championship. Here's the list of schools that won the national championship 
since the start of the BCS in 1998. Tennessee, Florida State, Oklahoma, Miami, Ohio State, LSU and USC, USC, Texas, Florida, LSU, Florida, Alabama, Auburn, Alabama, Alabama, Florida State, Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson, Alabama. What do those mm-hmm. teams have in common? Uh, they're all in Power 5 conferences. <laughs> they are all the teams that every year on Rivals and 247 are ranked near that is or near the top true. of the recruiting rankings. With- when Miami was putting that team together, nobody was ranking. Even if they had rankings, a lot of those guys were not those guys. Well, I mean, first of all, I don't even think those sites existed then, but... Uh, at that point, Miami had won several national championships and was known as a place that turns out NFL players. I don't think they were... I mean, when you talk about Wisconsin, Michigan State, the model is, I mean, blue-collar. So many of their best players are former walk-ons. Um, now, at this point, Wisconsin fans are furious with me and think I'm bashing the program. I am not. I think they're a great program that will feel a great team this year. But let even if they go 13-0, and win the Big Ten, 13-0, go to the playoff, they will not be able to win two straight games against the Alabama, Clemsons, whoever else might make the playoff. Let me ask you this. Do you think, I'm going to give you a list of teams, Stanford, TCU, certainly Michigan State, Virginia Tech, I feel like I should add a few more teams to that, but those, do you think those teams can ever win a national title? Of the ones you said, I don't want to say ever, but of the ones you said and with their current coaches, Stanford would be the only one I might give a shot to because they do recruit. I mean, last year, not this most recent class, but the year before, I think they had the number one quarterback, the number one offensive line, two, the number two, one and two offensive tackles. Like, they, they can get those guys. They just don't, you know, have the unlimited pool that, that everybody else does. Everybody else you mentioned is following is, is teams that get with coaches that get the absolute most yeah i i think my yeah. th- my thing here is i think sometimes by and large what you're saying is true but i don't think uh, there is you can't it's not an absolute you know jonathan taylor was a three-star recruit he should have been at least a high four-star recruit you know joe thomas this is the the quintessential wisconsin offensive lineman the 18th ranked offensive tackle in the country there's only one guy who was ranked ahead of him who actually started one game as a tackle in the NFL. I mean, it is a very inexact science to go down the road and say, are the percentages against them? Yes. But, I mean, if you actually watch this team, and this speaks to talent and development and evaluation, they can play with anybody. I really believe it. I think they can play with anybody on any given week. Again, it's. I think they could get into the semifinals and beat somebody. I don't think they can turn around the next week and then do it again. Here, I'm just looking up real quickly. The So Wisconsin this year is built on these past four recruiting classes, and here's where they were ranked. 2015, 41st. Oh, so you don't have to go to the list. They haven't had a class. I did this for my story on Scott Frost in Nebraska. They haven't had a class ranked un, uh, above 30 since like 2001 when they basically started doing these. So in those classes are going to be some guys who were criminally underrated and some other guys who, you know, I mean, they turned J.J. Watt from a walk-on into a, the best defensive end in, in, in the NFL. So the guys they will do that with. But on the whole, it is you are asking a lot for that, that group of players that over the course of four years to beat, say, 
Alabama, who is number one every year in that time, or LSU, or Florida State, or Ohio well, Ohio State's in their own conference, or Georgia. If I've, those seen, teams, I've, I've seen them beat LSU. I saw them beat last. I saw them beat Les Miles' LSU team, what, was it two years ago? Yes, but that, that, yeah. but that was the team that got Les Miles fired. I'm saying, maybe I'm being misunderstood here. I'm not saying, like, any of those 15 teams would beat Wisconsin. I mean, Wisconsin beats teams like that in the um, SEC Big Ten Bowl games all the time. It's, the, it, what it is, is it's those programs, and then you're playing them in the playoff, you're getting them at their absolute best. You're getting... They got not only did they sign great classes, but they developed them, and they have a good quarterback, and everything's come together. And this is, L- this is LSU or Florida State or whoever at their absolute best. Hey, by the back. way, so taking your cast of blue collar guys and beating those two teams back to back, not going to happen. You know what? One one school that you left that came within basically a last second of of winning a national title that would fit into a similar category was Oregon. They almost won a national title. You are correct. Oregon is the closest in this era, and they are that not has a ever blood. that has ever come to to making me co- you know completely wrong on what I did. And say. there was nothing fluky about them almost winning a national title. Agreed. There was nothing fluky about them winning an a- almost winning a national title. They had a fantastic quarterback. The only thing I would say is they uh, didn't actually. That by the way, that team didn't really have a fantastic quarterback. 2010. That wasn't. wasn't You talking about 2010? I'm talking about Auburn. That wasn't Marcus. In the in the ant. No, that was uh, Darren Thomas. Right. Not a fantastic quarterback. In the annals of college football history, I I believe one day people will look back at the 2010 season as one of the strangest in recent memory because the two teams that ended up playing for the national championship, who absolutely earned it, who were undefeated, barely produced any NFL players. Right, but the team that they lost to had, which I I would maintain, and you will come around to at some point, had the best player in our lifetimes in college football. They came up against Superman. Correct. So so that guy was so good that he took a team that, that on the whole, was nowhere near as talented as other teams that have won national championships and led them in the national championship, and they beat an Oregon team like... Or Oregon, this is this is the, the 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 personification of that Chip Kelly Oregon team. Like that team was just so ahead of the curve uh, with that offense that they were able to come within a last second field goal winning national championship game with Darren Thomas as the quarterback, LaMichael James as the running back, who was a fantastic college running back but never did anything in the NFL. Their top receiver, remember this, Jeff Mayo. Yeah, good, really good player. He played in the NFL. So, so yes, these guys were the ultimate overachievers, and they came very close. But um, again, that was also, you know, you that was there was one game. You get finished if you got if you went undefeated, you were almost definitely going to be voted into the BCS title game, and you win that one game. Now it's could you do me a favor? Get into the playoff and win up. two games. Did did you look and see who were three and four that year? Well, TCU, I think it was TCU in Wisconsin. Because they played okay. in a great room. So there, of there you go. I that if that was the case, I don't. I feel, you know, you don't have those are none of those are blue bloods. Yeah, I mean that's why I'm saying this was that was a year where all of the blue bloods stubbed their toe or were not like that. Okay, 2010. That was the first really bad year Texas had under Mac Brown. That was Lane Kiffin's first season at USC. Ohio State, uh, I believe they had a really good season, but Wisconsin beat them head-to-head, 
and then and went to the Rose Bowl over them. Alabama, that was Saban's only team since this run began that was not really in the mix, that lost three games. So it took this unbelievable confluence of events where all of the Blue Bloods had issues, and Auburn, Oregon, TCU especially with Andy Dalton, had these like dream seasons. Um, you could write a book about it. But there's also look the year Miami dom- you know dominated they had the best team and probably ever you know you look at the other teams that were in the mix there they weren't blue bloods either. By the way, I mean, another team that came very close to to breaking this mold Virginia Tech in uh, with Michael Vick. Yeah, again you have a superhuman player that leads the way, but yes, yes. Uh, let's move on. Brian yes, spent a long time on that one. I know Brian Tregesser. I'm sorry, Brian, if I misspelled it, mispronounced it. Stu did his top 25 head coaching rankings. Where would Clay Helton land if you guys had to extend it past 25? Okay, it's Stu. It's the uh, perennial Clay Helton question. The guy won, won the Rose Bowl two years ago, won the Pac-12 championship last year, and I can't say he was even in consideration. Yes, he is 27-10 and 10 all time and 20-5. and 5. He's the rare, the rare interim coach who only went 5-4, and four, and yet ended up getting the job, although he, a couple of those losses came after he had got the job. I think I said this in the article, either in the article or in the mailbag afterward, or maybe on the podcast last At some point I said that in the common thing about evaluating those coaches, the guys who tend to stand out are the guys who have taken their programs to another level than what they have historically been. It's harder to do that, obviously, at a program like that. So I think the only way... Clay Helton would be high on that list is if you won a national championship because that's what's expected of USC. If he, if you did a top forty coaches list, is he on it? Yeah, I'm sure he'd be on the top forty list. Really? But but the top twenty because because at some really? point you're going to start getting pretty far down. You don't think he'd be in the top forty? Mm, honestly, I like I like him a lot. I don't know if I'd have him in the top forty because right. remember. I had probably like four or five disagreements with guys you had, mm-hmm. and those different disagreements, I would all have those guys ahead of Clay Helton. So now I'm at 30. Right. We all haven't right, well, got here. I'll, I'll help you out here. Let's. I'm going to pull up a list of every coach in the country, and I guess to answer this question, we just got to find 15 guys who weren't in my list who you would have um, ahead of Clay Helton. All right? So let me just pull this up, and I'm just going to start rattling off coaches who... We're not on the say, list. You just want me to say yes or no? Yeah. That's easier than like trying to rack your brain right now for 15 names. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay, ready? Yep. Jason Candle from Toledo. Yes. Okay. Brian Harson. Yes. Jeff Braun. Absolutely. Mike Norvell. Uh, maybe. Let's just do that as a no, then. Okay. Craig Bull. Yes. Paul Johnson. Yes. Wow, I, I think you think you're right. Clay Holmes not going to make the top forty. Let me let me. And and, and, and Jacob Bowman is fuming right now. Okay, that's five. Ready? Let, let me let, walk. Let me walk you back on names, and I'll just start rattling them off, and I'll tell you. Like you went through that. I'm just talking power five guys. Jeff Brom, you said yes. Matt Campbell was on my list. He wasn't on yours. Tom Justin Herman. Fl- Justin Fuente, absolutely. Brian Kelly, absolutely. Dana Holgerson, absolutely. Dave Clawson, now, well, yes. Now, okay, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. You wouldn't have what? Dave Clawson ahead of him? Not, uh, 
Dave Clausen's done a pretty remarkable job at Wake Forest. Now, the one that you said that gave me pause was Justin Fuente. What has Justin Fuente done in two years of Virginia Memphis Tech? Was, Memphis, that, was that God, Memphis was god-awful before he made them good. That's the only, that was the only reason why I hesitated on Mike Norvell, because he took over for Justin Fuente. All right, so it's clear that he would not make your top 40. So what would Clay Helton have to do By to the way, make... I haven't even mentioned, I would put Matt Rule ahead of him. I would put Bronco Mendenhall ahead of him. Kirk Ferentz? Oh, yes. What would So what would he have to do to make your top 40? To make my top 40, he would have to get USC into the playoff and not get blown out. So if you so if USC goes eleven and two this year, and um, makes the Pac twelve championship game but loses, he still would not be one of your forty best coaches in the country. If USC say that again, if USC goes to the Pac twelve, they're eleven and one. They win their division and they lose in the Pac twelve championship game to Washington. Washington. Okay, so now his three year record is I don't know. You you count, you know it would be three straight. Ten or more win seasons with a would, Rose Bowl and two Pac-12 championship games. Yeah, maybe I don't know. I doubt it. I Damn, mean, I'm that sorry. That is a Matt, high, Matt, high standard. Matt, Matt, it is a high standard. But I'm sorry. You know, first of all, that is a weak division they're in right now. It is a weak division. I think no, the only reason no. I disagree with you is because you're not really taking into account what a dumpster fire that program was before he took over. I'm going to give you the most profound thing anybody I know in coaching has ever told me about USC. And I'm sorry, we can bleep this. You have to bleep it up to not do really, really, really well there. Well, a couple of the coaches recently have really bleeped it up. No, Sue. You know, some of what was happening was they were coming out of sanctions. They don't have sanctions anymore. No, it's true. It's true. Look, again, he's not my top 25. I think he would be somewhere between 26 and 40. They were on sanctions. All right, we have so, one more question we need to get to. Uh, this has been will, a fascinating mailbag section. This one's for you. You know more about this guy from Brian Benby. Okay. You guys, a few weeks back, did a segment talking about grad transfers. A name that not a lot of people are mentioning is quarterback Drew Brown, formerly of Hawaii, now with Oklahoma State. He put up decent numbers in his two years as a starter, 27-85 passing, 18 TDs, and 8 INTs last year. With limited talent around him at Hawaii, what are realistic expectations for Oklahoma State fans? I think they're to maybe win nine games. You know, when I look at them, they have a really good stable of running backs led by Justice Hill. They lost three stud receivers, but they still have some good ones. So now, in regard to and by the way, new defensive coordinator Jim Knowles is coming in from from uh, Duke. I don't know if that's an upgrade. I know the Duke guys think highly of him, but then this is a really tough division, tough conference to be a DC in, even without Baker Mayfield around. So now on Drew Brown. The thing I heard from him from the Hawaii guys, incredibly hard worker who loves football. No issues. Very average arm strength, but really smart. I think he will be a decent fit there. I don't think he... You know, because they have good talent around him. Assuming he's the guy, and if he's as, if he's as sharp as everybody who was worked with him says, I think he's a solid stopgap for them. Gotcha. Well, I think we've gone over that hour mark that we usually try to keep it under. We appreciate it. I think we could have had a separate podcast on the Wisconsin question alone. I bet you we're going to end up talking about that again. That's a pretty fascinating topic. As always, you can send your emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com, and we will see you next time. If you enjoy our podcast and you haven't subscribed yet, what are you waiting for? Subscribe to The Audible. 
on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a five-star review while you're there. We'd like to thank our presenting sponsor for 2018, Trader Joe's. We'd also like to thank our producer, Nick Fink. Our theme song is Dangerous by Kevin and the Octaves. You can download their music on iTunes or Spotify. You can subscribe to my college football website, The All-American, by going to theathletic.com slash theaudible, where you get a 25% discount and a 7-day free trial. Follow Bruce at Bruce Feldman CFB on Twitter. You can follow me at SL Mandel. See you next time. Place the money in the New York Stock Exchange.